0: Welcome to the very first episode of the Dialogue Tree. Unlike most roundtable shows, our guests are those who decide our topics of discussion, each bringing one of their own. Now, talking of guests, first up is Peter Willington from In Retrospect podcast. How are you doing tonight?
1: I am doing very well, thank you. Very, uh, very pleased to be on the uh, in the on the inaugural show.
0: Yes, hopefully it should all go well. Although it seems to be going kind of ropey at the moment. And uh, secondly, we have, although again, I would say equally as important, James Batcher from Gameburst.com.
2: Amy, thank you very much for having me on. It's okay. I've been been looking forward to this.
0: You have? You have overly high expectations about what's (laughs) going to happen tonight. So, uh, would somebody like to go first? One of you two want to go first? Nominate yourselves for your... Chosen topic
1: of discussion. Well, well, since he since he was mentioned second, I think James should uh, James I, I should go so first. Too,
0: yes. ah, so you I want see how to work. <laughs> <laughs> so you want to talk about EA and uh, DLC codes, apparently. So, uh,
2: um, well, not just EA actually. I, I, just the general concept of DLC codes. This is something that kind of um, arose majorly last year, but it actually debuted in two thousand nine with um, the launch of Dragon Age, and it's the the concept of when you release a game, if you buy a new copy, there is a code included with the, the manual and all that that will give you access to DLC. And the idea is that EA introduced this measure to kind of encourage people to buy it new, buy games new. A, lo- a number of other publishers have um, taken this up after- afterwards. TXQ has taken it, um, Sony, I believe, did it, uh, and, then, and then Ubisoft and Take-Two have considered it. And it's been expanded over like the last year to include things like online multiplayer. So EA, um, as much as I say, it's about a a lot of other people. EA are really driving this forward. EA launched something last um, summer with Tiger Woods called the Online Pass, which is if you buy a new copy of Tiger Woods 12 or FIFA 11 or any other sports title, you're allowed to play the online multiplayer. It's included. If you buy a second-hand copy or you rent a copy, then you must pay $10 is the typical amount that unlocks that functionality and i just thought it'd be interesting to discuss like how people um view this because there was a lot of controversy against it when it first set out but as time's gone on and people have used it in different ways the the public response is is mellowing out quite a lot and and i've i've always been quite a a strong proponent of this of this initiative so i'd be interested to get your your guys views it's just it's it's a concept that fascinates me
0: okay um I'll throw in my two cents first. Um, I think maybe it's important to focus on the difference between involving just the DLC code for an extra treat in a game and involving a DLC code that says you cannot play this game online unless you buy it brand new. Mm. I mean, I, I, I have no issue with somebody... It's almost like pre-order codes as well. I have no issue with somebody pre-ordering something or buying something new and getting something that I didn't manage to get. It makes maybe a limited edition version of something. But the idea of a game maybe limiting you is risky, maybe, is the tr- the, the best word I can use for it. I, I, I'm i not wholly against the idea of using DLC codes to restrict gameplay as a whole but that content is on the disc and it has been paid for outright whatever the person who's bought it first does with it after they've paid for it shouldn't that be their business you know uh, I mean if they sold it to me directly instead of sending it to a shop and trading it in or or Something along those lines for for money or, or install credit. You know, no matter how I end up getting it second hand, should I have to pay extra on top for that? I mean, I'm just arguing the the opposite point for it. Yeah, no,
2: I agree, and I, it's certainly a point that um, a lot of people come up with. I mean, it kind of harks back to the the Resident Evil five. Um, palava that was uh, mm. was was came up there when when people realised that the multiplayer mode was already on the disc and they they charged you for the DLC to unlock it and they patched it in as it were and uh, initially I w- I agreed with this I agreed that you know like it, it in my opinion like if you buy a disc everything on that disc is yours you own all of that content and you know they shouldn't restrict it and I agree with that but then. I've kind of been uh, won over slightly by EA's ruling for it and uh, uh, reasoning behind it. Um, Peter Moore actually told um, MCV I work for MCV which is the uh, trade publication for the video games industry Hmm. Peter Moore told us back in the summer that um, that $10 he said like per game isn't that much to ask for to maintain the server costs because if you think about how many millions of people play FIFA Online etc if you think like MMOs so World of Warcraft for example deals with, you know, billions of people online. You know, millions, billions of people, huge population of the Earth, plays World of Warcraft online, and those servers are maintained by subscriptions. It, it's not quite the same amount of people, but a, a large number of people still play online games. Call of Duty, Halo, FIFA. If you combine the number of people that play those online, it has got to rival, maybe not World of Warcraft, but certainly some of the other MMOs are out there. And yet those... Um, those servers aren't being maintained by subscriptions or any other fee. They're just expected to work. I mean, we've seen all the whole um, the, the public outrage, uh, Treyarch's version, uh, the PS3 version of Black Ops, and how it doesn't work online and the servers are lagging, etc.
0: Mm. But
2: you're getting that online multiplayer for free. Mm. Yes, you may have paid for the disc, the disc that lets you access that multiplayer, but the actual ongoing server costs... Your, you know, the ongoing server cost, the customer service, etc. You're getting for free. You know, you're not, you're not paying anything towards that. So I don't think it's outrageous to ask for a little bit of money towards that upkeep. Obviously, I'm not saying they should go the full hog and, and do subscriptions. Although, of course, there are rumours that Call of Duty will be doing that. But I think, yeah, you know, just, and it's not even the majority of people. The, the vast majority of people probably buy such games new i mean certainly like fifa a lot of fifa fans you know buy it day one and certainly with the price cuts that have been going the last couple of years you know what's it with supermarkets knocking it down to 25 quid it's not really a problem it, it's not a case of well do i buy it new for 45 pounds and play online or 20 secondhand and have to pay an extra 10 you know a 10 an extra tenner to get the online mobile even then you're saving a tenner Hmm. It's, yeah, but with FIFA, you know, because of the price cuts and all that, it, it's actually well. I will just pay twenty five quid and I get to pay it online. You know, so I don't think
1: it's as big a deal as some people say. Uh
0: Peter, yeah.
1: So <clears throat> let's uh let's just let's let's try and clarify something, shall we? Um, why are they doing this? So why are you know why do you why do you two guys think that they're that they're instigating this Project Ten Dollar, which by the way project ten dollar fantastic name in america <laughs> uh, over here project five pound 59 not so good is it really <laughs> not so good uh, is it uh, no no not quite they're rolling um, them out
0: on the posters now
1: <laughs> <laughs> so um you know so why why are they doing this my well, why,
0: the, oh, sorry uh, you feel
2: well the obvious um one that a lot of people jumped on when dlc code started to emerge is that it is the publishers trying to muscle in on the pre-owned market because game obviously gets game and h and and sorry I I don't mean to pick on game, there's so many people that do pre-owned now any any retailer that sells and trades in second hand games any extra sales of those pre-owned games, they get 100% of that money they don't have to pay the publisher um, a share like they do with new sales so any new sales, they pay a share share to the publisher in terms of buying that stock Mm. if Gamers trade in their games thus replenishing the stock. Any game any of those pre owned games that they sell, they get one hundred percent of the revenue. And people argue that this is publishers trying to muscle in on that market and trying to take that money. Publishers have for ages, you know, for, for years been saying, well, they, they don't like pre owned because it is taking money away from them. They they equate, you know, a pre owned sale to a potential new sale. And they, they believe that's a chunk of the market that they're they're missing out on. And they're not they're not wrong because uh, yeah, I, I think uh, Game told me recently. Game's boss told me recently that in the run up to Christmas, about fifty to sixty percent of the games they sold had a game traded in against it. Mm. So the, mm. the the pre-owned market is huge, and that's what publishers are trying to get in on.
0: Do you feel that maybe the pre-owned market is to some extent uh, a problem? Uh, when compared to the the new sales
1: that could be amassed. Do you mean, do you mean in relation to this or? I mean,
0: obviously this is a way of combating that, that, you know, people will instead go out and buy the brand new games. Because there's no way they can, I mean, in their, in their, their minds they'll see it as, well, this is the best way of buying it, right, brand new, you'll get all the downloadable stuff straight away or you'll get the items with it. Yeah, you know, from the start you don't have to pay extra. I mean, obviously in the long run, if you buy it cheaper, it won't cost any more anyway. But it's a it's a way of combating that. So, I mean, do you think that that publishers see the the pro market as a threat that is much larger like it. than it is?
2: i don 't think they say, see it as a threat; they just see it as a, a missed opportunity It is an mm. extra revenue stream that, that retailers have created for themselves that you know, retailers have thought right we can get money by doing this, and it it, um, it 's it's an it's a opportunity that that ea doesn 't get ea for example yeah like they, they only get the money from retailers buying stock from them, no matter how many times eight, one copy of a game is sold, they will only get money for that one sale, and that to them is like you they know, they 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 see that as a massive chunk of money they're missing out on. Mm-hmm. It's not completely, um, you know, detrimental to publishers. After all, yeah, you know, like with if it wasn't for um, the pre-owned market, sales certainly wouldn't be as high. There wouldn't be quite as much money in the channel. you know, obviously, you know, video games <coughs> are quite an expensive pastime. You wouldn't have people being able to buy every single new release. You know, people would have to choose between Medal of Honor and Call of Duty, not be able to buy both. Mm. And um and yeah, you know, and it means that you know, you get millions of sales. I mean, I, for example, you know, Call of Duties, for example, are still selling now. And while I imagine, yes, a chunk of those are still new sales, I also imagine that a a fair amount of the sales that are, are going may well be pre-owned because you know, let's face it, the single player is quite short. If you're not major, majorly into the multiplayer, which you know, I know it beggars belief, but there are some people that don't give a shit about Call yeah. of Duty Online. Um, <laughs> those people, you know, those people will play it play the um the 5 hour single player or 10 hours. sorry I don't, I can hear fanboys grinding axes in the background <laughs> um and they'll trade it in and it means the next person can buy that and so you know I I don't know if we we'd rack up these millions of sales I mean what's it um Black Ops rack, racked up I think it was good 5 to 5 million sales within its mm. first month now yes the majority of those will have been new but I there will still be a chunk of those that come from pre-owned so it's not a complete it's not a completely evil system as yes. publishers would, would make you believe.
1: So you see I don't buy this argument. I don't buy this argument uh, of Project $10 being uh, about uh, <coughs> combating used sales uh, and the reason that I don't buy it is because uh, have you guys heard of a, a website called uh, the Green Man of Gaming?
2: No, I haven't. Green Man Gaming,
1: yeah, yeah. So, uh, as as far as I'm aware, and and do please correct me on this, James, if if, if I'm wrong. But as far as I'm aware, um, you're able to buy license keys, <clears throat> which is essentially what all, all, all game discs are now, really. Anyway, mm. um, for access to. Uh, game content, so, you know, a full game, that kind of thing. And once you're done with it, you can then trade that license back in. So you can trade on digital copies of games, essentially. And, and I believe at the moment this is only for PC games. You know, there's no other service at the moment. Um, so my point is that there are alternatives you know there's no second hand pc game sales uh, market you know when you walk into a game that kind of thing they really can't sell you uh, a used pc game because that code's already been used however it is a workaround, you know, if uh, if the publishers uh, were really serious about combating uh, secondhand sales. And James, as you said, like um, a lot of uh, a lot of trade ins go to to buy new purchases, new purchases, of course, which are the the lifeblood of these companies. Um, if they really were serious about combating uh, secondhand sales, then they would find a method such as green man gaming um so i don't buy the argument that that, that project you know this project ten dollar is is anything to do with that um for me the the reasoning behind this is uh simply a a monetary one you know uh for as much as you know i love this art form and and you know do see it as such uh at the end of the day this is uh a business you know mcv is all about that uh you know it is uh, very much about profit and loss figures, and uh, and uh, you know if you if you can uh, if you can make a critically fantastic game, but it sells like well it sells nothing like Singularity, uh, then all likelihood you, you know you're going to get a, a studio shut or a, a publishing house closed down. Um, so for me, this is all about profit. This is, and I'm not one of these, you know, angry forum dwelling kind of, you know, how dare they keep it on the disk and uh, and not let me access, give me access to it. I'm I'm not actually particularly fussed about any of that. What this is all about for me is is holding on to uh, uh, holding on to a user um, by uh, by sort of. The the illusion that you're kind of getting more than you had originally. So when when I chuck in, uh, you know, when I chucked in my copy of uh, Skate Three, for example, which is a fantastic game, fantastic yeah. game. Um, I didn't have access to the online components because um, I got a promotional copy and they forgot to send me a code to play online. <laughs> um, and I felt. That as a consumer, if I, if I, you know, if I, if I got this on a second hand market, I feel like that's a lesser product, and it is a lesser product because they've essentially taken out a large portion of, uh, you know, I believe it's just sharing uh, content and that kind of thing. But if I had that code, I'd feel like it was more. I'd feel like I was buying more, uh, you know, with a full full price purchase. So I don't think it is anything to to do with siding out that uh, that that second hand market. I, I, to be fair i'm not a huge fan of, of this uh, of ea's way of doing uh, of doing this kind of added content i really like what thq did in in, uh, in america whereby you bought dark sider's new and you got a copy of uh, red faction gorilla like i think that that is an absolutely fantastic proposition and it's a it's a brilliant way to um, to uh, um, boost awareness of a, a of a um, uh, of a uh i 'm trying to think of a word uh of, uh of a of a series that you know had kind of gone downhill It's 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 a great way of saying hey you've bought this game new here 's a free game for you oh mm-hmm. i mean yeah it's an old game but you're going to get some you're going to get some lovely time out of it and oh by the way, in nine months' time, the sequel's coming out um I think that that is a fantastic way of doing things, but restricting content and that sort of thing just feels a little bit um it feels uh it feels sort of disingenuous and it feels a little uh, abrasive when I come up against it um, the only other uh, um, there's a there's a couple of uh, I'm going to rail on this unfortunately but uh, another question I'd ask is uh, do you guys uh, I'm assuming you, you do do you guys have 360s yeah uh,
0: yeah, yeah I have all uh, the yeah
1: do you have uh, Xbox Live Gold
2: I do like that. Uh, yes master my yeah. frustration I do pay for that yeah
1: so now if you bought a copy of FIFA 11 and, uh, and you're, uh, you're paying your 30 odd quid or whatever it is for, for Xbox Live Gold. Uh, and the game doesn't allow you access to play online. And yet hmm. you're, you're paying for the privilege to pay on, to play online to Microsoft. At what point, like, it feels like you're being almost double charged. Yeah. Especially if you buy the game second hand and you go and buy that online access code and you don't have Xbox Live Gold. That's a very, that's a very mixed message to a user who isn't who might not particularly be up on you know up on their games and that kind of thing you know the average person who buys FIFA you know you know a FIFA game uh, probably isn't you know it's a wide audience they're probably not going to be as savvy as somebody who's you know immersed in games you know 24 hours a day. Um, so, so that proposition of having to pay online and then having to pay on to go online is a little bit, uh, is... Well, difficult. the crucial That's difference,
2: fun. the crucial difference that EA made, and I'm not necessarily backing EA, I'm not necessarily backing EA, I'm just you know, providing the other point. The crucial point that EA would make would be that it, it is a one-off payment, and they would probably argue a one-off pay- payment that is part of you buying the full product. And it, you know, the, it, it's not technically a subscription, as it were, on top of Xbox Live. It's, it's, it's almost buying it in installments, essentially. It's one of the reasons why, you know, the, why we haven't seen a subscription-based Call of Duty, because you would be paying a subscription for Call of Duty on top of a subscription yeah. for Xbox Live. To go back to what you were saying about TSQ and the way TSQ do it, I completely agree with you. I love the way that TSQ have been handling this. And I'd like I say, this this idea of, of uh, you know, a DLC code or an online pass coming with the new purchase has only really cropped up in the last year or so. And it, it's still a very new idea that people are experimenting mm-hmm. with. THQ are doing it really well, in my opinion. Like they, they, so they introduced the THQ pass with UFC uh, un, Undisputed 2010, which was very much the same as EA's online pass in that if you buy a second hand copy you can't play online until you pay us the 10 pound code or whatever it is the way they're doing it with homefront is if you buy a second hand copy you can play online multiplayer but your character will only level up to level 5 you can still yeah. play afterwards you can still play as a level 5 character but if you you know you, you have to pay the money to unlock all the extra perks and stuff and you know yes arguably that's that's um locking out content but the basic functionality of you have online multiplayer is still there and essentially all it means is new, new copies are the premium mode. If you look at like free-to-play um, MMOs, for example, like Lord of the Rings Online, which I've just got into, if you pay a monthly fee, you get lots of extra um, items and 500 points to spend in the store and all this, and you've got that advantage because you're paying for that advantage. If you've bought the new version of Home, Homefront, then yes, you've got that advantage of, oh, I can level up to 75. If you've bought a second-hand copy or a... Or a rental copy, and you know, rental uh, uh, certainly that to me is a crucial point because it means that Homefront you can sample the online multiplayer without having to pay for a game that you're not necessarily going to own. Okay. The, cru-
0: the, the
1: the crucial difference between Homefront and, uh, and and something like let's say Free Realms or something like that though is that uh, you know those those games are f- the initial cost is is free. If Homefront was free. I would be, I, I'd be, I mean, I, I completely, I completely get your argument and, and I, I, and I agree with you. I, I do think that THQ's way of, way of handling online, online play, uh, through this, um, through this project $10 or whatever, you know, their, their equivalent is. Um, I think that that is a much more palatable, uh, approach to the design because yeah, you do get to sample things, but, but at the same time, you know, a free to play game is, free to play. So so that 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 first investment of 40 pounds or you know or 35 quid you know second hand um uh,
0: uh,
1: that's you know that's still a, a great difference I, I I would argue.
0: Um <coughs> so we're going on a bit on that one but uh, a <laughs> because it's fascinating. Um so talking about restrictions I mean I agree with with your point there that it's better to uh, give less of something than not to give it at all. That, you know, at least with, with that way you're getting to experience some of it and you're paying to get extra more than you're paying to get at it whatsoever. But it, it reminds me of the, the other issue of DRM. And most notably, uh, arcade game, what's, uh, was that, an arcade game? What was that? PSN, it was, uh, Bionic Commando 2 rearmed and and you have to be online to be able to play it properly at all times and and how do you stand on, on that sort of restriction say if somebody's bought a disc copy of something which is more of a worry and they don't have to have a constant online connection or even an online connection whatsoever you know, you know odd in this day and age but it's possible you know, how do you feel about them not even being able to play their game at all in that sort of situation. I, I think that's, a,
2: a, that's kind of um, a separate issue, but I, 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 I'm more objecting to that one, because as much as I understand that they're, the publisher's argument, um, certainly with Capcom, and, and of course Ubisoft who notoriously um, launched, it, launched mm-hmm. this whole concept of um, you always have to have a constant connection to play your games at all, offline or online. You have to have a constant internet connection. The, the, the whole idea of that was against piracy, Um, And, you know, EA and Sony and TSK and all that have kind of spun the whole idea that that the DLC codes is also a kind of a a way of combating piracy because, you know, at least they're getting some money from the pirates who want to play online, etc. The the DRM, though, I I think that's kind of it's taking the security measures too far. And this is that, like I said, it's the same with DLC codes. It's something that people are trying to find their feet with. You know, Ubisoft, um, with the DRM, they found that, it, you know, hugely unpopular. They, when they launched it with, um, the PC version of Assassin's Creed 2 and the Settler 7, I believe it was, back in, um, March last year, they, you know, they came under attack from so many people hacking the servers, uh, you know, attacking their, their, their systems, trying to break down the DRM from within as a kind of a, no, you can't do this, this has gone too far. And as a result, things like, you know, come September, which was only six months, you know, five, six months later, when they released Ruse, which was their big PC title, well, big PC-only title of um, the, uh, the the fourth quarter, they, so not PC-only, PC-centric, you know, in, in the, it works better on PC, they removed that completely. They didn't even include the DRM. So it's something that publishers are still learning. Publishers are still learning, and they're not going to get things right, um, first of all. The trouble mm. is that as, as the focus becomes more and more on online functionality, you open yourselves to so many new threats because the more you're connected to the Internet, the more danger you're in of letting people into your system. Case in point, the PS3 hack and all that, but that's a whole nother kettle of fish.
1: <laughs>
0: uh. Peter,
1: um, yeah, I mean, I mean to to, to to sort of finalize my kind of uh, uh, finalize my kind of thoughts on this 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 uh, pay to play kind of scenario. Pay to play, I suppose, is is kind of the wrong phrase, but to to go with this sort of paid access to content that uh, either is you know. Uh, uh, on the disc and it's just an unlock or, you know, just, just really this, this project, $10 stuff. Um, the, the one thing I would say that as, as a, a person who is exceptionally interested in, um, uh, old, the, the beginnings of the medium and, uh, retro gaming, if you want to call it that. Um, it's, for me, it, it, it's another barrier. It's another, it's another issue that we're going to have to deal with, uh, a little bit later down the line. Um, um, it's another case of what happens when uh, i'm unable to pay for specific content for example so you know um and this is this is purely a historical perspective and it, and i suppose this is theory because we you know we certainly haven't got there we've only had you know 30 or 40 years of the medium and we've only had 5 years of this so uh, you know yeah. um if that um but what happens when the systems um that allow the transaction or, uh, you know, of redeeming a code or, or, or paying my, you know, £5.99 uh, to, to get access to FIFA 11 online or whatever it is in, in 15 or 20 years' time? What happens when those systems aren't available anymore? So, uh, you know, I can still get online, you know, I still have an internet connection, I still have all of those kind of things, um, but I can't, I simply, I, there's simply no one to take my money. For example, you know, a company goes bust or, um, you know, a service goes down, that kind of thing. And, and nearer, nearer to the present day, uh, the other thing I would say is, aren't EA in the habit of shutting servers down after two or three years of play? You know, what happens, what happens after, and obviously we haven't got to this point yet, but what happens when the first game, um, you know, FIFA, 10 or fifa 11 let's say what happens in 2015 uh when uh you know they when they decide to turn off the fifa 11 servers is that is that okay is that uh, is that all right at that point
0: i'd argue that with fifa it is but um not a big fan of fifa don't get me (laughs) uh I, i think it depends on the game more than anything i mean with games like fifa you're getting so many updates and the next year's edition comes out, people won't miss it to that extent on that sort of game. But on something that is more individual, say if this had come with a game like Mirror's Edge and there was a chunk of it missing that you can no longer access, that would be a massive shame. I think it's a less of a problem now because of the games that it's being used on. I, I would worry on on which games this sort of, Content but, restriction would happen.
1: But to why ensure. should but why should any company once you've once you've paid for a company's product okay. and a service because uh, ultimately it's a product. Hmm. Why should any company then tell you? Oh, by the way, now now I mean we've taken your money, but now that we've taken your money, uh, we're actually you're not allowed to play this anymore, even though you paid specifically for this service.
0: I think thankfully at the moment it's own. I mean, like we say, it's only affecting mostly online play. Yeah. and you know, servers will end up shutting down at some point or another. Or something will happen to the online side of things. You know, that's something that is inevitable. I think if it affects offline play as well, that's where it really becomes a worry.
2: I think also like not to trivialise the matter, a bit as much as as much as it is a worry that you know that EA, for example, can just shut down the online FIFA servers and yeah, as and when they want. I think like. If you get down to the you know the proper small print of it, they have that right. They have that mm. right to yeah. close the service as and when they deem it necessary. And obviously that that requires a, um, a good degree of fair judgment on their part. But on the on the flip side, they've got so, okay. So FIFA have been producing uh, sorry EA have been producing FIFA games since Christ knows when nineteen
1: ninety three.
2: 1993,
0: well, thank
1: you
2: very much. Oh, you've just um, met Christ there. Oh, yeah, sorry. <laughs> uh, okay, so, so let, let's say, Leo, you know, an, an alternate world, you know, FIFA 93 had online play. You know, the, the, the idea that EAR obliged to still let you play <laughs> that game online now, today, you know, Christ, um, sorry, there he is again. But, you know, it, it's almost 20 years later. Mm. It's it, it comes down to a practicality. Mm. Yeah, you know, the, the companies have a finite number of servers, bandwidth, etc. If the vast majority of people, if millions of people, and they are millions of people, are playing FIFA 11 online, plus of course the million or so that are still playing FIFA 10, FIFA 9, FIFA 7, and there's two people playing <laughs> FIFA 93, it, it becomes it becomes a kind of a uh, uh, you know needs of the many as it mm. were. Mm-hmm. I, I, you know, case in point, I, I think, was it Chrome Hounds was recently shut down? That yes. original yeah. Xbox game? Yeah. And yes, that's a crying shame and you know, I, I, you know, that, that's certainly much more recent than 1993. But equally, I imagine they will only have shut that down. And I would hope they will only, only have shut that down when it's got to the point where only a minority of people are playing it. Same with um, the original Xbox Live shutting down recently. yeah, you know, That system was going for five years. It's a system for a... Mm-hmm. A console that is no longer available
0: hmm.
2: that they're no longer producing games for, and yes, people still have them. I mean I've got one propping up my table in my lounge. <laughs> my leg fell off. It's not even my Xbox, it's just it's just propping up the table in my lounge. It's um you know, you know, loads of people are still playing Halo two. Halo two was still one of the most played games. And that I argue, yes, maybe that's the that's the point where you say, Well, this service is too popular for you to shut down hmm. but the vast majority of cases I imagine are, it's only a minority of people, and that needs to stay the norm. I agree with you, you know, that, that needs to stay with the norm, because if they're like, well, FIFA 11's been out a year, we'll shut it down so you'll buy FIFA 12, that's when it, it, they, they take that step too far. But the, the ultimately comes down to consumers, you know, as people often say, and, and I can't remember who it is, um, one of the guys on my show, Gamebus, say, um, speak with your wallet. If you don't agree with what they're doing, don't buy it. I think Zan was saying like he's not buying any more Activision products. I believe, I think that's what he said. He's not going to buy any more Activision products because of what they've done, because of how they treat their studios, because of the franchise they've milked and exploited and killed. He now will not buy. And yes, it's petty, and yes, you get so many consumers boycotting products, but ultimately, like it's down to consumer view. If if you don't want to buy any more FIFA games because they're going to demand that you, you know, pay to. Open the online multiplayer. Fine, don't buy Pez
0: mm-hmm. because ultimately
2: yeah. there are so many people that are still buying FIFA and still happy to buy FIFA and still don't mind, don't begrudge EA that extra ten dollars or five ninety nine to do what with you know, do with it whatever they will. I mean, it's, you know, video games are very expensive investments now in terms of development. There are still enough people that will keep those companies going. So ultimately, it becomes down to where, where you draw the line, and when you draw on the line, you deal with it in your own way.
0: Mm. In the end, it's just what you get you what you pay for it, isn't it? uh but I should reel this in because we've been going on for a while on this. <laughs> so uh, we should move on to our next topic uh Peter, okay, you want okay. to talk about the future. Although uh, you did kind of cover the future there. It got a bit post-apocalyptic with the what happens with the end of all games. and uh, <laughs> We'll never be able to touch them again.
2: There should be That's, one person in a Fallout-style vault playing FIFA 93. It's desperately on this
0: small... Do you know, I think it's because
1: I've been... It's, I think it's because I've been listening to... uh Atlas Shrugged by Anne Rand, the audiobook. I think that that's why I'm so, uh, the, uh, the greater good is, is bullshit. Like, I think that's why I, I'm so much like that. I'm, I'm, uh, I'm infused with object, you know, Randian objectivism at the moment. Um, yes, I'd like to talk about something that I'm, I'm, uh, I feel like I'm, I might be in the minority about actually. Mm-hmm. Um, wouldn't you guys love to see a one console future?
0: Yes. Oh, that was very short.
1: <laughs> okay, excellent. Next, next topic. Next, okay, um, awesome. Okay, um, so basically, my, uh, I, I, so recently I got a 3DO uh, because uh, you know so many great games on that console, um, and uh, and I thought I was kind of looking at it and I was kind of thinking about the history of it and uh, and what Trip Hawkins, who founded EA, wanted to do with the 3DO. He wanted it to be. This console that anyone could produce, and indeed, you know, uh, Sanyo and Toshiba, and uh, I believe there was a 3DO company making 3DOS at one point. Anybody could make a 3DO, and the, they could put one out. And it was uh, it was his vision uh, of a one console future. Now, unfortunately for Trip Hawkins, uh, the the one console wasn't particularly good, yeah. uh, but now. With uh, with the um, with the continual sort of merging of of the three big console manufacturers at the moment, you know the uh, the 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 mes that you'll find on your Xbox, the uh, the um, the more sort of hardcore import Japanese games uh, that you would traditionally have seen on PlayStation titles now being the home, you know, Finding Home on the Wii, um, you know, your your PlayStation um, uh, being. Uh, so incredibly focused now on um, getting online and stuff like that with DC universe online and home that kind of thing where once uh, Xbox uh, you know Microsoft's consoles were were absolutely the pinnacle of that with these blends uh, and merges of uh, of consoles and technology controller uh, inputs that kind of thing isn't it time really that we just kind of did away with this with this really quite silly notion of uh you know almost football teams of uh, of 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 video game consoles you know who do you support i support microsoft uh shouldn't we just kind of get rid of that and really just get down to what's really important and and, and that's the games and 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 the experiences that we share, you know, with our friends playing these games. It shouldn't really be an issue of what platform we play them on.
2: I agree in principle, and I mean, I, I'm inevitably going to go into lengthy reasons as to why <laughs> I wish there was a one a one console future. But the, the, to start on the negative points so that we can build up, um, I, I think just from a business point of view, it's just. It's the sort of thing that everyone loves the idea of it. It would be so much easier, so mm. very much easier. But would it be practical from business sense in terms of the, you know, the market value would plummet because you've not got three streams of revenue. You could, as much as more this generation than than previous ones. I know, and I am, I I, I am one person that has more than one console before this generation, and in fact before I got given a three hundred and sixty. I was a one console gamer I would only have the Nintendo consoles fanboy that I was that was my way of doing things <laughs> and I know that there are still people out there who are fanboys like that but nowadays you do have people who have all three or have got a 360 and a Wii or a PS3 and a Wii or all or you know, 360 and a PS3 but no Wii and you know, be- as as many as, as multiple as those people are, and and as much as the, the, the kind of multi console gamers make up a fair chunk of the market, you still have a number of people who can't afford more than one console. Let's, mm. let's be fair; the damn things are expensive. You know, we is, is the cheapest one. It, it, Where, well, sorry, no, it was the cheapest one at two hundred. All right, yeah, you can now get an Xbox three hundred and sixty Arcade for one hundred and thirty. That's still one hundred and thirty pounds. Anything in triple mm-hmm. figures is expensive. No matter what you're buying, okay, if you were buying a car for triple figures, that would be quite a good deal, <laughs> <laughs> but not necessarily a good car. I speak from experience. Um, but yeah, you know, like when you look at you know, how much the console's costing, there's all this discussion about like, you know, the NGP and the, um, and the 3DS. The 3DS is coming out at uh, 230 and even with all the price cuts that the, the supermarkets and the, and the retailers are doing, it's still £150 for one handheld that can play a select number of games, and then come... September, October, whenever they're going to bring out the NGP, which will be another, easily going to be £300 with the amount of yeah. kit in that thing. Yeah. Easily gonna be £300. You, to get the, the full range of, of, that gaming has to offer, you're spending, well, just handheld gaming it has to offer, you're spending easily about £400, £500. You know, just to get the, the complete experience, to have open to you the complete experience of handheld gaming. And as much as that's terrible to us, and it's like, oh, I just want one handheld that lets me do the lot, to come, you know, to the market in general, not just to individual companies, to the market in general, if you've got people spending £500 on two handhelds, and then, you know, less, you know, never mind all the games they'll be buying, that means that the economy of the games industry is so much higher. You know, I, I, so we deal, um, in MCB, we do a, a weekly market value. And during, like, Christmas, et cetera, you know, on the run-up to Christmas... You've got like the you know, basically like you'd have forty to sixty million pounds spent per week on Jeez. video games. Video games because even this even now when when you know when it's um it's 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 winter there's fall coming out really, you know there's there's no real new releases. It's, you know it's a large part of your know, sales and and price promotions and so forth. And of course we're towards the end of the um the the console generation, so you've not got like um higher intake from hardware reviews, you're certainly not sending a lot of hardware. We're still spending you know the UK is still spending fifteen million pounds on video games a week. Jeez. If you had one console, one console um market, that that figure would plummet. Mm. i, I no. think maybe not maybe not drastically so, because you know the obvious argument is well, all the people that are buying games will still be buying games. So it mm-hmm. wouldn't be like drastically shorter. But if you, you think like, you know, all those people who have got a Wii and a 360, they're not going to be buying you know cod on they're not going to be buying cod on Wii for the motion controls and then on 360 for the achievement mm. points because you do get people like that. Yeah, um, you know you, they're not going to be buying such and such on handheld and then such and such on this to see the different versions. You you are going to get a a severe drop in the number of people buying games because there's less choice, as it were.
1: But well, first of all, I mean it's not that there's less choice because obviously if there's only one platform say for example and this is the model that I would always use the PC uh the PC really is in some ways the one console future <laughs> you know it is it is currently one of the only things that can play you know a vast majority of uh, of the games that are released you know we always see like for Xbox and PC for PlayStation and PC um so i mean i feel that i feel that you know i th- I don't think it's a case of that there will be less choice. I think that, that, you know, developers will still be developers, publishers will still be publishers, and they will still create for whatever consoles are out there. But it's interesting, actually. You mentioned that, um, you mentioned, you know, how much is spent on on consoles, and you say that if if there are two handheld consoles... Well, let's go back a little bit. Let's go back about five years and talk about, you know, the beginning of this current generation. Um, if I'd been, you know shit crazy and bought three playstation 3s when they came out now what were they 400 quid something like that
0: mm-hmm.
2: they yeah they're about we're th- four about, I thing they're about 500 i think the top one was 499
1: okay so let's go let's go mad let's go absolutely mad i've, I've won the lottery uh <laughs> i'm gonna buy three 500 pounds uh playstation 3s um now that's 1500 pounds spent and that's it that is a significant uh, chunk of change like you know like you were saying and that goes to fuel um this you know the large you know that very large number that you that you were uh, that you quoted how much of that and 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 it's kind of a rhetorical question how much of that was actually profit for sony because the stories if you remember when they were coming out was that even at that price sony was still making a little bit of a loss yeah. So, but then so,
2: that—that's more reflection on Sony than it is the business model. Say you bought three Wees at launch. Yeah, you know, one for your room, one for the lounge, and then one for the kitchen when you—when you know, you're cooking. Or something. <laughs> I don't know. Um, that's two hundred times. It, it was one hundred and eighty Let's round up to two hundred. Two hundred. Um, uh, two hundred pounds a pop.
1: Mm-hmm. Six
2: hundred pounds. That's six hundred pounds. That is all profit. For, no, sorry, not all profit. But that—that that is that's still making money for Nintendo because Nintendo refuse to run their hardware at a loss. They never run their hardware at a loss.
1: Now, I agree with you, but that's a, that's a different argument. Mm, that's just a
0: case of the, of the fortunateness of the console that is
1: Exactly. Available. So, I mean, in my you know, dream world, uh, the, uh, this, this one console, let's say, let's say it's made by Nintendo, um, and they decide that this one console future, they're going to sell it for £200, and they're going to make £50 profit on every single one. In comparison with Sony, who you know were around in this generation, uh, you know they they weren't making they weren't making profit, but they were all still adding up to this this large total that you, that you were talking about. Now, my point is, if we're all buying if we're all buying a console anyway, and one company is at the top with the you know with this monopoly, but making a profit surely that's, uh, in, in, in terms of pure economics, surely that's a much, much better model than having even two in a marketplace, a, you know, a Nintendo and a Sony, where Nintendo are making a huge profit on their consoles and Sony are making nothing. There's Sony, Sony being in the hardware race actually have nothing really to gain. They, as, you know, as we hear time and time again, manfa- and this was, you know, this was, historically, this was set up by Nintendo with the NES. You know, um, hardware makers... They don't really make the majority of their, of their money on the hardware. They make it on, you know, licensing a product to be played on that hardware. You know, that was the Nintendo seal of approval that you, that you, that you, you know, bought into. That was what the companies kind of paid their money for. And it's, it's that whole process that actually makes the money for the industry, the real, you know, the, the, the cream, the, you know, the, the, the profit. And in the, in a one console future, I can easily see that being a, being a case, because if you have a hardware manufacturer who doesn't, it, it, you know, if, if you're a company that is only a hardware manufacturer, which is this 3DO model, then the onus is on you to make a profit out of the hardware, because you don't have to worry about making the money up later on down the line with software sales, because you're not necessarily in the software sales business.
2: So do you mean I, I kind of, uh, one console feature where it's not in the every single console is the same, but... The functionality is the same, uh, the same. A la kind of DVD players, for mm, example, mm. or Blu-rays, yeah, where yeah, you have um, different models. Like the Philips one has, you know, a nice shiny dial and certain buttons, and you can put <laughs> slow mo. But the Samsung budget one, no, Samsung don't make that. No, yeah, oh, Alba, Alba, yeah. Alba, Sorry, Alba, make a <laughs> you know budget one, which is just put in and play. I yeah, I, I quite like that the idea of that model. I do. the The, the sad thing is like like it, it's not going to happen while we have three dominant, mm. and you know, crucially dominant because they are highly successful platform mm. holders. At the you know If the, if it gets to the point where no one's making any money, then yes, compromises may start to be made, but a lot of compromises will have to be made before you'll get Nintendo and Sony teaming together, or Microsoft and Nintendo, or all three teaming together. I think it's more going to be a case of less of everyone's saying, right, let's chuck this in, let's just do one console together, let's buddy up. It's going to be more a case of, it's going to be the slow, long grind till platform holders are knocked out of the market, a la Sega with the Dreamcast. Mm. Oh, Sega, oh, Sega with day. the I Dreamcast, in my opinion... Oh, yeah, sad times, I'm really sorry. <laughs> well, I'm not sorry, I was a Nintendo fanboy. Yeah. <laughs>
0: oh, yes.
2: <laughs> and, like, yeah, like, Sega, to me, was almost... You know, if if you if you kind of if you zoom out from history, as it were, if you know, if you take a long step back and look at the 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 long term of where the video game is going, you know, video games industry is going, Sega will be the first step towards that um, that one console future because you've lost a platform holder there. Say Nintendo hadn't made if Nintendo hadn't made um, money with um, the Wii, say it flopped and the fad hadn't taken off. Nintendo wouldn't be making a console next generation. There's mm. no doubt about that because they just wouldn't have the money. They only managed to make the GameCube because Pokemon turned out to be such a <laughs> massive hit. If that hadn't been such a big hit, you wouldn't have had the GameCube. And you'd have had a just Sony, um, you'd have had a single console market there. Albeit Microsoft came in and introduced the Xbox and now we're back, we're back with three pillars. Again, as we were in the days of Sega, Sony, Microsoft. Uh, sorry, Sega, Sony and Nintendo. It's, um, um, but it's, it's the long, it's going to be the long, slow grind of killing off each platform holder until one survives. That's I, I worry that that's when we're going to get our one console future.
1: Maybe I'm, maybe I'm, maybe I'm approaching this at the wrong angle. Maybe I'm, I, I should be, I should be quoting things like. Uh, PlayStation Suite,
0: mm. which is
1: obviously like an Android, you know, any Android platform that can support it, it has access to PlayStation brand software. Or maybe I should be quoting OnLive, which is probably the biggest game changer that's coming up. You know, for me, worrying, uh, you know, uh, as a collector and as a, a as a kind of historian, like that's an exceptionally worrying thing. But uh, needless to say, those two platforms of PlayStation Suite and OnLive. They kind of are moving towards, though in separate direct, you know, from different angles, they kind of are moving towards a more unified, uh, uh, platform system within, within the economy.
2: They are, but equally you've still got a lot of rival platforms. So PlayStation Suite is a, it's a platform that depends on, it almost depends on other platforms. So yes, you know, it, it, PlayStation Suite connects PSN and Android. So it's it's a platform between it's more of a bridge than it is a separate platform.
1: Mm, mm, on yeah. li-
2: you know on on live, um, yes, I can run you, you know, It's a game streaming service, but then you've got Gaikai, which is another game streaming service. And that way, if if you're boiling it down to a one service future rather than a one console future, I don't think you'll get that because there because there will always be the ability for people to come up with rival services, um, you know, and and it's easier to produce a rival service than it is a rival console. To look at Steam, for example, Steam, some would argue, is the future of PC. They, you know, there are many Steam fanboys that would love Steam to be the one, the standard, the only games distribution, download. You know, sorry, downloadable distribution service, because it's such a fantastic system, and don't get me wrong, I do like Steam, I love it. But you've still got Green Man Gaming, Direct to Drive, um, what's the other one, there's Meta something...
1: Uh, ooh, don't know that one. No, no, no.
2: Begins with M. No, it's gone. Um, It didn't, if it it is still around, if it's still in operation, it's very small. but you're not know, you know what i mean like you know, it, it, yeah, say steam adjoint yeah, yeah. like, you know we are the one yeah, one one platform for pc you will still get people creating other platforms rival platforms as long as there is opportunity for someone else to offer a rival competitive service and or console you will not get a one console future mm. as much as i i lament that
0: <laughs> yeah, I would suggest it's highly unlikely that it's ever really possible in the long run. Not in yeah. our
2: lifetime is the no. very short answer. Exactly. And it's, it, it's a shame, it's a shame, because, you know, I, I, I've heard the arguments for one console future, I've been bought by them. I used to listen to um, One Up Yours, where I, I think they regularly used to argue for the one console future, and the, the version they always used to give was, you know, CDs you can play on any CD player. Films I can watch on any film player. If I want to buy, you know, the latest... Um, James Bond, Star Wars, Star Trek, whatever film, you know, in a series, I can buy it on DVD and it runs on any DVD player. I don't have to have the Sony PlayStation DVD player that lets me play certain films.
0: Mm. Although, it did look a little shaky during HD DVD and Blu-ray.
2: Yeah, but that, that was more... Okay, but that was, um, <laughs> that, was a, that was a limited... That was a short-term battle. There was only mm. ever going to be one winner from that. And that was a, who's going to take over as the next medium. That was... Um, you know, VHS to that, that was VHS and Betamax, wasn't it? You know, you know, the the first recordable storage, which you know you can bring out um, films on. There's two rival systems. One gets knocked out, one remains, and it goes on. The difference between that and the games market, you know, like, like I said, like if, if um, Nintendo and Sega had been battling out, and Sega had been knocked out as far back as the Mega Drive, obviously it wouldn't have happened because the Mega Drive was awesome. I'll just- <laughs> Has Questionable. Out, has Questionable. Been, well, okay, no, okay, but there were there were those who were like say one of those two had been knocked out that far back. I imagine maybe we would have a a single console future because you know you know what that's it. Everyone's playing Nintendo, but then that doesn't stop someone from coming up with another another mm. arrival mm. system.
1: So, do you guys think that perhaps the people who are the advocates of a single console future? are the people who are kind of coming from like the critical perspective whereas the people who kind of see it as something that's not really going to happen see it in in terms of economics and that uh, and and that sort of thing i'd i'd love to get your opinion on that i do
0: i i do think that it is more likely that it is the people who appreciate the artistic value of games in general would don't mind what it is they're playing on I mean the game is what it is no matter what console it's on mm. Mm. I mean essentially you've got you know say Bayonetta is on Xbox 360 and PS3 now already Yeah, you know, you're going to buy that game if you want that game no matter which console it's you own um, yeah I, I think it's more that more I think about the idea of a one console future it, it's the, the, the little senses in my brain that say logic kicking in Say yeah, this isn't going to happen because, the, like you say, there is going to be somebody else who has an idea for a console or another format or another way of doing something. Uh, the the differences between not just you know the consoles themselves, PS3 and Xbox 360. You look at the services available. Microsoft subscription for online, although you're paying for subscription for online, the online service is pretty good on that console so that's their selling point for that that's what makes them different and there's always going to be something that makes that machine different
2: yeah I, I, I agree I mean I, that, that's the reason why you know as much as the Wii has disappointed me as a enthusiast gamer I, I, I get told off if I use the word core it uh, you know, still it still has those key titles that you can't get anywhere else you know you've got the Zeldas the Marios the the Star Foxes, you know the whatever. I mean, you know, Skyward Sword's coming up. If I, you know, gave up and wanted, to, you know, my one console to be the 360, I wouldn't be able to play that. I think, you know, to go back to your question, then Pete, you know, the the, the idea that um the one console and you know, advocates are are, um, are highly critical. Yes, I, I would agree with that because the vast majority that I've heard, and certainly you know, the the, the majority of times that I've sympathised with the one console. Uh, console features is, is generally along the lines of, I want one console because I can't play X. Mm. And yeah. that's generally quite a very common argument. I'd like a one console feature because even with two consoles right now, there are still titles I miss out on. I don't have a PS3, which means I can never play Uncharted. I can oh, never play oh my, Heavy yeah, my heart bleeds for you. <laughs> I can never play Infamous. I can never play Little Big Planet. There are so many games that I want to play that mm. I can't. And that's what pushes me towards, oh, I'd love a one console future. So I think you're right. It's it's kind of a a very critical, you know, what we're deprived of, attitude that makes us think, well, yeah, well, yes, we'd like a one console future. Can but I ask?
0: It, um, sorry to interrupt. Can I ask? Did you choose specifically to pick up the Xbox instead of? History. No, I didn't. know
2: well, I, it was never in my intention to get anything beyond a Wii because, I, I, as I say, you know, at the start of this generation, I was always a single console gamer. I have mm. chosen what, you know, I've chosen what I wanted. I, you know, I wanted the Wii. If I want to play other games on the system, I just live with it or I go around to friends and try it out. I think, you know, back in the GameCube generation, I actually had a, a three four month spell where a friend of mine um, and me we swapped consoles. So I had his Xbox. He had my. Um, GameCube. It meant he got to play Zelda and Mario sixty four and Rogue Squadron and games that he had, he didn't have access to, and I got to play Halo etc. Which I really wasn't that bothered about. In the end of the world. <laughs> a whole other topic. The the reason I got three sixty was literally just luck. In the um, <laughs> anecdotally, it was um, it was a freebie from work. I, at, at the time, I was working on a magazine called InStock, which was um, basically a, a product guide. You know, like those. Um, those magazines you get at Odeon that tell you what film's coming out that month. Yeah, yeah. Mm. It was basically, it, it was like that, but it was for retailers. It was almost like a catalogue. And um, the editor of that magazine, her boyfriend worked at Sega. His Xbox um, red-ringed. She said, oh, don't worry, I know someone at Microsoft. She sent it to Microsoft, said, oh, look, have you got another Xbox for me? So, said, yeah, don't worry about it. We'll say, yeah, just chuck your old one away. We'll send it out. They sent it into the office. She called up her boyfriend. Her boyfriend turned out a colleague of his at Sega had also had a friend in Microsoft who had already got him a 360. So she had this spare 360 in the in the <laughs> office. She said, right, who doesn't have one of these? And I've never shot my hand off into the air. <laughs> <eye. laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah, that, it, it's pure luck that I got a 360. Having said that, I'm glad that I do because there are so many games that I've loved on my 360 that I wouldn't have been able to play. I never would have been able to play Red Dead Redemption, the Mass Effect games, um, you know, Oblivion, Mirror's Edge, Far Cry 2. There are so many games that I've absolutely loved that I wouldn't have been able to play with a, you know, with just a Wii, and that's another reason. Well, that's the same reason, basically reiterated that. I'd love a one-console future. Sadly, exactly. mm. it's not going to happen.
0: Do you feel that there's been a console this generation that has got it, I mean, I, I, I hate to use the term, but more right than the others when it comes to what it
2: does? I, I, I've always been of the mind that each console does its own thing. Like you say, you know, Xbox Live is a great online service. You go to Xbox if you want great online multiplayer. The Wii, you know, as much as um, people, you know, ridicule Nintendo still and think, you know, their, their games are going stale, anyone who plays Super Mario Galaxy 2 will tell you that is an incredibly fun game. You know, there is nothing like it on any of the other consoles. That's the experience that they've got that's unique to Nintendo. And, you know, yes, there's a lot of crossover now. There's a lot of crossover, certainly since, you know, the laws of move and connect. So you've got motion control all three. There is some element of online play on, um, on the Wii you know more and more shooters are actually setting up their own online services certainly you can play um, Call of Duty and I think the Conduit's coming out and that's got online play uh, obviously it's not a massive title but it's still it's a step in the right hmm. direction isn't it? Um, you know, it, it there are less differences this generation but there always have been enough differences that if you only have one console there is enough to keep you satisfied
0: ok I think uh We've covered more than enough on that. Uh, we don't be running too late. Um, bear with me on this one. Um, how do I word this? Has the press, the the games industry press, have we failed? Uh, I mean, as in, uh, as far as long as I can remember, my earliest memories of video games coverage, especially on television, uh, are of Dominic Diamond. Saying the word pants. And uh, I've found more and more over the years that it's become frustrating to me because I, I'm not highly educated, don't get me wrong, but I'm intelligent enough and mature enough to, yes, appreciate the odd joke, you know, but that I want occasionally to be talked to like a sane, intelligent adult and treated like my hobby or my love, I may argue, um, isn't just some uh, idiotic, childish activity. Um, And my other flip side to that argument is the few times when it isn't treated like it's a group of people being childish to some extent or another is shows like the recent Panorama episode which can be viewed as scaremongering. So I mean, do you think that maybe to an extent that coverage of video games by those of us who know about it and those of those people in the press who aren't strictly knowledgeable enough to be talking about it has been quite what it could be?
2: Wow, those are two big topics right there. <laughs> um, it's funny, as you mentioned this, the, the risk of plugging. Um, Game Burst is actually doing a, a roundtable next week on um, how video games are perceived by and, and um, depicted in the mainstream media. So, the Daily Mail, the BBC, the so forth. Um, so, I have no idea what they're going to say on that. I don't even know what I'm going to say on that yet. <laughs> um, the idea that... Um, the the video game press itself the specialist video game press is quite childish i think it is maturing but it's also a case of where the audience matures quite rapidly mm. so and, and the key thing to you know, as as peter pointed out you know the, the 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 industry itself is only 30 years old it's not like film 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 critics you can get elderly men being, well, not elderly men. Sorry, elderly people, because there may well <laughs> be women out there. You can
0: get people people,
2: sorry, whole can of worms. You can get older members of the pub, of the press hmm. critiquing films, books, any other form of yeah, you know, music, any other form of art form, because those stretch back. Films have been going since you know the the early yeah the early years of the last century. Music, you know technically further if you go back to like you know, really old stuff um but in terms of you know, commercially certainly goes back as far as um, you know slightly further than um you know tv and film books christ world well, you know literature has been with us since the dawn of time ish um yeah but games have only been with us since the last 30 years you don't have any video games journalists who are over say 50 you know, or whatever, you don't really have them. They're all twenty to thirty year old males because Mm. that is the audience that has grown up with games. That is the audience who are almost qualified in terms of not just in terms of like actual qualifications, but in terms of the experience with (laughs) games. Those are the people that are qualified to give a reasoned, you know, unbiased verdict on video games, to look at them objectively as they are, as they have been and as they will be. Because they're the audience that that are that may well change. That may well change as we go ahead. There are more girls in um, the the games press now than there used to be. Um, I think the you know, like games games master um, magazine, for for example, like the team is, I believe is uh, out of the team of six. There's like two, possibly three women on it. And I don't mean to focus on that point, but there is a there's a long running argument, you know, that the the games industry is dominated by men, and it's a men's industry because girls don't get into games, and there's that whole stereotype mm-hmm. of girls don't get into games. To finish this ramble, because I know you guys want to actually get a word in edgewise, <laughs> you know, as I say, like you know, the audience also matures. The example I would give would be, and um, this is actually how I kind of got into games journalism, I used to read N64 magazine cover to cover, every month. I loved it. Absolutely loved it. The writing spoke to me, it amused me, it entertained me, and it formed me. NGC came on, and it, that was still the same, and you know, more so, actually. It got on, 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 and I, you know, it, it was really good. And towards the end, it was like, I don't need to read everything, and some of the things I considered a bit below me. And then they reinvented as Endgamer, which was quite blatantly aimed at a much younger audience. And partly that's because of that's the audience that Nintendo... The console was going for, and so you know, the press has got to reflect that. But it got to the stage where it was all very kind of fanboyish and quite you know, yeah. silly and unnecessary and always in this funny, etc. And I just felt like I had outgrown it, not because the 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 press had failed, as you put it. The press is doing exactly what it's meant to be doing for its intended audience. Endgame was exactly what it needed to be for its target demographic. I just wasn't part of that anymore. And I had to move on to something yeah. like MTM, Edge, I, the internet.
0: Mm-hmm. I see your point in as much as we will mature along with the things we read and they will stay aiming at the people they're aiming at all along. But the, the, the phrase target demographic is, is a worry to me because you, you say you you turn on Xbox Live and you look at the inside Xbox bit. The two guys on there, um, Mr. Pointyhead and... Oh, uh, you know who they are. I, I, I forget their names. Um, they, they they seem like nice guys, on the whole. right. but a lot of the content that's put on there almost has to consistently be making jokes the whole time, of some kind or another. Even if they're covering something serious, there has to be some sort of joke or humour in there to some extent. I understand that's there. That's perfectly fine by me. But I, it, it's just a shame. To one extent that there isn't more of a mix that, you know, these, these machines are, are ending up in multiple different types of people's homes of all sorts of ages now. And we should be aiming to try and cover things in a number of different ways. Maybe experimenting in, uh, format or, or style or doing a, some, just once every so often, slightly less jokey things or slightly less demeaningly jokey things. I think um, a lot of us have a sense of humour that is not just toilet jokes, you know. Um, and I say failed to the point of uh, the recurring stories of uh, mainly Daily Mail stories. So I, I ignore them. But of, of mothers buying games uh, for children that are way too young for them, and 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 then realising they're violent, or realising the kids are reacting in a way that they they weren't expecting, or things along those lines. And my issue is, you know, I've been reading about these stories, or hearing about this sort of stories, or this sort of scaremongering, for the last, I don't know, at least the last ten years, right? I've been aware of them. So, if it's that far back, and it does it 's not a long time, ten years, but it 's long enough for us to have started saying maybe there 's a way we can cover these things that will inform these mothers and parents and people who are new to games that this isn 't for children or this isn 't just for kids
1: yeah um, okay and i'm going i 'm going to flaunt absolutely rock the house with my a level sociology here. Uh, but, uh, basically there is this, there is this theory, um, that was put forward in the 1970s about, um, scaremongering and, uh, social devils and social ills and, and this theory of the greater good. It was kind of, um, a reaction against conservative press like Daily Mail and that sort of thing that you mentioned. Um, and the idea is essentially there's always been a kind of scapegoat, um, you know, from, from, going as far back as you know shouting witch and dunking women uh because you know um a man had developed a rash on his leg and clearly that's yeah you, know, you you know what I'm saying you know that that's clearly the 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 answer um to uh the pre-raphaelites being labeled as you know drunks and uh and and creating art that wasn't spiritual and therefore you know how could it be how could it be artistic and that kind of thing? And, <clears throat> and then moving on to things like rock and roll, uh, and comic books and films and hammer horror and that kind of thing. There's always been a, a scapegoat. And unfortunately, because, uh, our medium is, is very young and it's still developing, uh, we're, we're still in this position whereby it can easily be scapegoated. And I do, I do agree with you. I think that there is, there is some level of, um, not failure. I, I don't think it's failure on the part of the games press because I think that they they aren't necessarily even trying uh, mm-hmm. to to um, uh, to try and educate parents because it's never really been the enthusiast games press's place to do it. Um, but I do think that um, the way that simply because the medium is quite young and because there is a, a feeling of, there, there, you know, there is an element of interactivity to shooting somebody in the face in Call of Duty as opposed to seeing somebody being shot in the face in, you know, Bad Boys 2. Um, because there's this interactive element, it, it's almost as if the the people who don't understand what it is um, and, and don't appreciate the medium, um, they don't quite kind of grasp how, you know, how fantastical it still feels to everybody who plays them who is mentally balanced um it's so i think that that is a large portion of it in terms of in terms of sort of educating people and that kind of thing i also think that uh, there's there's a lot of black and white within within talk about games and and i'm more for gray i quite like gray it's lovely isn't it it's like it's just really sort of just different shades of gray just so nice um and uh and 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 For me, it's kind of a middle ground. Yeah, you're, you're completely right. There are people, you know, you can go and read, um, you can go and read, well, let's, you know, let's take something. Uh, take something uh, a complete extreme you can go and read Toxic which is a pound fifty magazine which is kind of skewed at uh, kids who are just a little bit too old for the Beano but not old enough to be sneaking a look at their brother's loaded magazines um, and they're kind of they've kind of uh, I don't know I don't know what the kids are doing these days um, but it's kind of so it's got a lot of video games and it's trying to be cool uh, and it's kind of gross and girls uh, kind of stuff um, and uh and uh, you know so so that's one thing and that's one side of it and there's games reviews in it now that's the guys that are doing that i'm sure are doing a perfectly good job because they're they're writing to a very specific audience and if they were to be writing about you know uh, how Fl- Flowered and extremely interpretivist, you know, piece of art that border, you know, that is, that should be displayed in a gallery and not, not, you know, confined to the home. You know, if they were talking about that, then their readership just really wouldn't care <laughs> less because they, what they want to know is, is whether the, the new, uh, Power Rangers is that, a thing?
0: Uh, <laughs> is that still a thing. Yeah, yeah, uh, that's still a thing.
1: That's the thing. Whether or not the new Power Rangers game is any good. Um, whereas you go to something like Edge, and I mean, that is hardcore and you i mean there are magazines above that i mean um you know fantastic publications like mcv um develop uh which is a fantastic print mag and online service i believe as well uh, pocketgamer.biz you know these are they take journalism exceptionally seriously and they you know they're more um analytical and more grown up mm. uh, than than places even like edge because they they they're simply dealing in industry and facts and figures but that's still games journalism i think that to say that to say that you know um we should you know we should grow up in our in our games journalism i do think that there should be more outlets for it and well not even necessarily more outlets for it but people who are thinking that they're writing maturely you know i think that there are a lot of people who should really kind of judge whether or not they are writing maturely about games (laughs) um but at the same time like there should be more you know magazines for kids uh, you know that are aimed at young at young children that aren't things like games master and things like um and things like this this toxic magazine you know um i believe future just bought out a magazine that's this squarely aimed at kids playing video games and i think that stuff like that is absolutely fantastic it's just a case of who your audience is and who those people are writing to hmm.
0: well I've- I think that that's true to an extent, but again, we're back to target demographics. And you use an example. I mean, two polar opposites, Edge and, and Toxic. Was Toxic, right? Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, I, I used to work in magazines, I should know. Um, <laughs> you know, they, that's, that's fine by me, that, that Toxic aims at kids, talks to them in a way they would understand about things that they're interested in, and talks about games that are appropriate for them. But the key problem I have is the opportunities we have where we can talk to a vast number of people with a wider, wider range of people is we still only target a specific demographic within that range of people. There are missed opportunities and uh, I think that is more of the issue that, that not that we fail completely or anything, you know, I think there are, there is good work being done out there and, and not really just educating Parents on the right sort of games to buy for their kids, but just you know, making us look good. Are we fighting the the corner for what we love quite as well as we could do? More than anything, but to to um, to
2: give a kind of flip side to your argument, Leo, you say, Leo, that um, it's all in good like target demographics, um, you know, magazines aiming for their target um, their target audience of kids, etc. Why aren't there more that aim for uh, the audience that takes games more seriously. I think it's because the people haven't shown, the, the audience hasn't, you know, the, the, the games industry audience as a whole, the millions of people that buy games, haven't shown an overwhelming interest in the artistic side of games.
1: Mm, agreed. You
2: know, like, things like Flower, et cetera, you know, sold well enough and was championed by the press. Heavy Rain, I'd argue, is one of the more artistic games of last year but you know heavy rain so know, yeah, heavy rain yeah sold a million or so in its first month Call of Duty you know not to keep harping on about that but it's, it's a it's a key flagship example of our, of our industry and more importantly of our industry's audience sold a million in a day
0: right
2: <laughs> and that is very much immature not not immature but like
1: let's yes, it, cons- yes it is
2: let's be honest
0: if you find reviews of that in Loaded then yeah. you know <laughs> that's what
2: it, it's immature considerably less cerebral Mm. Um, you know, just mindless shooting. It is the equivalent of those popcorn films. Mm. You know, yours yeah, I, I agree. There needs to be a bit more of an art house press, as it were. But you know, you know the sort of people that will watch. And I'm not gonna bother trying to name an art house film because I don't can't think of one off the top of my head.
0: Uh, <laughs> I can't think of one now. When I uh, watch exactly, it all the time. Yeah.
2: <laughs> Exactly but then, you know that's the same with film isn't it yeah you know, like there's not an, an art house film there're not many art house film magazines the, you know all the magazines focus on you know the oh the new um, Bourne film or the new harry potter or the new Jason Statham steroid him up you know and, um,
0: <laughs> that's a game name I,
2: I think okay. it all boils down to unfortunately as as everything does in this world it all boils down to business the the money in terms of selling the games is to this yeah, toilet jokes, bullets, blood, gore, guts, everything. Those are the people that buy in the games. So, just by pure logic, those are the people that will buy the magazines. In terms of the, um, the artistic side of it, like the... You, you know, like like um, Peter says, you've got edge. You And I think a lot of the, the, the amateur press, the kind of consumer press, as it were, not consumer press that's written for consumers, but actually written by the consumers, has taken up the mantle of we're going to give a much more serious look. You look at the number of blogs there are and podcasts there are out there that take a much more serious look, a much more interpretive look at video games, that's where people get their fix because you don't. And, and I, you know, you're you're right. It's, it's chicken and egg. They get that there because you don't get it in the in the in the actual like you know mainstream media. You know the actual um, magazines, the specialist press. But then the specialist press don't have to cover it because it's covered by all these people on the internet. To go to your point about um, parents and whether or not we should be fighting our cause, you know, there there are people that have made an effort. The um the the uh, what's it the the. I think it was the, the Ziffs Davis bloke, uh, one, John Davis, John, John Davis, or Davison, who, who set up, who used to be on 1UP and set up What They Play. And What They Play is an, is a website that writes about video games for parents. Completely, you know, informs them about what each game is about, who it's appropriate for, whether or not your kids should be playing this, and whether or not you know, parents should be playing this. But, People don't know much about it. The trouble is, the first bite is with the eye, and parents aren't looking for something that will inform them about video games. Parents don't care, ultimately. Because <laughs> you know, video games are you know, what their kid is playing. You know, they're, they're, they're what their kid is playing. It's not of great interest to them. They're not going to look at a cover, a, a cover of a magazine that has got Mario on it, or you know, Marcus Phoenix from Xbox 360, or Drake from Uncharted, and think, hmm... I need to know more about that. To them, those magazines are, oh, that's video games. It's for the kids. There's still this, this, this widespread mentality that video games are the equivalent of toys rather than films. Mm. And I think that's, you know, that's not necessarily a failure on our part, certainly not a failure on the industry's part. That's because the vast majority of people who buy it are younger. You know, mm-hmm. the, the, the huge, huge majority of gamers are 16 to 34. All right, th- you know, that, that 34 is quite old. <laughs> but, yeah, those guys are you probably you say m- we answer if you like yeah, <laughs> you know, and, and that's only matured that, yeah, that's only got to 16 to 34 because as I said earlier the the, um, the male audience has kind of grown up with these video games the vast majority of the people who play those 34 you know, that are 34 and play video games now who play, you know, certainly play regularly are the people that were playing it when they were children. If you'd have gone back 10 years, I imagine the average audience of a gamer would be more along the lines of 10 to 16 mm. because that's the audience, that's how old that audience was. Also, maybe as, as the audience grows up and the audience matures, you know, as a whole, maybe the press will mature with it. But I doubt it because you've got more, as, as much as the initial wave of gamers is growing up and maturing. You've got more and more immature gamers, new generations of gamers, sorry, to put it less, mm. less mm. negatively, new generations of gamers filling in behind them.
1: Um also, I mean, like <clears throat> devil's advocate, uh, I don't, I don't really want parents to get involved. I mean, let's be honest, like skateboarding. That's pretty cool, right? You don't see many uh, you don't see many parents getting too involved in any of that stuff. As soon as we start getting uh, as soon as we start getting these parents involved and stuff like that, it starts to become like Facebook. You remember when Facebook was cool when your parents oh, weren't on it, yeah. and then every and now every single time it's like it's just like Peter has eaten a sandwich. My mum likes this.
0: Fantastic. My my space syndrome, as we call it. Twitter's next. Twitter's next. It's going down. My my parents are
1: now joining
2: Twitter. Sorry, my (laughs) mum is now joining Twitter. My dad refuses to touch anything to do with the internet. My (laughs) mum is joining Twitter. She's starting to follow people. And I got that inevitable email today. Your mum is following you on Twitter.
1: Nice, nice. And you
2: can't block her because as as Uh. (laughs) stupid as folks can
1: be, they know when they're being blocked. (laughs) And but here's the thing you know I, I you know I don't want it to be uh I don't want the next phone call to my parents being ha, do you remember son when uh I completely and utterly decimated you in that uh game of death match the other day it was fantastic, and uh remember uh sleep tight tonight and uh yeah yeah i, I don't want any of that you know let's keep video games cool and evil, shall we Like, I'd rather do that i'd rather be rock and roll than I, I, I
2: don't think we need to exclude them. I mean, like, yeah, you know, like, certain, certain people, I think, oh, yeah, fine. Like, <laughs> um, like my, my parents, for example, my mum in particular, you know, has always been quite involved. Not involved, that's probably too strong a word, <laughs> but has, has been aware of how I am gaming. I've often said this on GameBest. Things like, you know, when it comes to age ratings, she was always aware of what I was buying. The day I came home with a copy of Perfect Dark, which was an 18 my 14-year-old self was told to take it back to the store. Until I pointed out that, no, hang on. And I took her through, you know, like, um, I actually, I think I actually reached for n sixty-one Magazine and showed her screenshot and explained, look, there's a little bit of blood that doesn't look even realistic. And they once or twice say, son of a bitch. (laughs) <laughs> and and that's, why, that's why it's 18. And 18. she was okay with that. She, she'd be fine with that. No, he's really swayed, I see. When, when I was much younger, you like, back in the days of the NES, she would play through the games first before letting me play them. <laughs> Excuses. I, yeah, I know. And, and now, and, you know. and now she's, you know, I, I wouldn't want to, you know, I, I obviously I wouldn't sign her up to Xbox Live exactly, but... She, <laughs> But she she plays the Mario Galaxy games, for example. She's beaten the Mario Galaxy games. I can't even finish yeah, the damn things. Anyway, she, she's beaten them, and I wouldn't deprive older gamers of no you know, of trying it out completely because there there is there is stuff there for them. But you're, you're right; they, they don't necessarily need to know everything we get up to.
1: Your your mum sounds cool actually, uh, but uh, <laughs> no, I, 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 it's um, no, I I don't you know I don't mean exclusionary, but but it's just that thing of it's just that thing of. We're so lucky at uh, 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 we're so lucky right now in that there's there's so many forms of uh, i mean podcasting's only a few years old for you know for, for God's sake like um, there's so many different types of journalism that are sprouting at the moment, and as I say, like this is an extremely furtive time in, in video gaming, and we are all very, very lucky to be a part of it right now, mm. because this is what's going to determine you know we're living in the time that's going to determine where the form you know goes you know wouldn't you absolutely love to have been i'm not a huge film fan but wouldn't you have absolutely loved to have been there where in the first 15 to 20 years where they were mucking around with silent movies and they they thought that that was the future you know like and 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 so we're very lucky right now um and so we do have so much opportunity to talk about uh, to talk about you know interactive entertainment if you want to call it that um in different ways and we are just we are and this is kind of being a topic of of the whole podcast we are kind of seeing where things are going at the moment and um and i think that journalism can only get better in general and and, and criticism uh I, I think i really mean on that the criticism of games can only get better and um and uh i think it's certainly not a write-off and i think that uh there's there's a lot that can be done um and uh, I'm rambling now,
0: so I'm going to stop. <laughs> we should leave I'm, it I'm, there.
2: Yeah, I was going to add one more thing, like Okay, that, um, that, you know, to, to coincide with your point, that you know, it's also going to be a case of, of as the as I said that, as the journalists mature, as we attract more, not necessarily serious but skilled journalists. Mm. So, you know, the toilet humour and stuff. Of you know, I, we were joking in the office the other day of like the old official Nintendo magazine used to refer to um, the rival consoles as. The Dream Pants and the Grey Station Pooh. Nice. You know, good, you know, real, real mature, clever stuff. You know, you can tell they spent hours of the to to about it. Yeah. Exactly. But now you won't see that in official ma- in Nintendo or in, 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 in any of the other official magazines at all. Mm. And yes, there's still a little bit of toilet humor. There's a little bit of, um, I mean, certainly if you read things like Games Radar, it's all a bit, you know, uh, hey, you know, oh, I wouldn't mind giving her one, et cetera, when you know they're going through the different Lara Croft babes, et cetera.
1: Um, yeah. But,
2: <laughs> but you, but you do get people using, um, games journalism and, and and advancing games journalism in different ways. So zero punctuation, I'm assuming you guys watch this. Oh yes. Yeah, exactly, right? That guy, let's face it, if you if you boil down to what the core of that is, he is basically ripping the the piss out of games by making clever sex or fart or toilet or just gross jokes. The actual concept, the actual con, um, content is gross jokes. But the context of how he's using them is so, it, it's quite witty and scathing and quite a clever, you know, um, deconstruction of the games he's doing. It's not just, oh yeah, this game looks like us, oh yeah, just, it's not, it's the difference between and- angry video game nerd and zero punctuation.
1: Yeah.
2: Angry video game nerd is what we used to be, zero punctuation is where we're heading,
1: I mm-hmm. hope. I hope, oh, God damn! And, and, I hope so. so more,
2: yeah. I, I'm just I, uh, my final point. I'm just waiting for the day when we have the Top Gear of video games.
0: Oh, I don't know about that because I, I, I going a bit.
2: Uh, okay, I, okay, I know people. I know that certain. I know carnots don't like Top Gear, but in terms <laughs> of just the not silly, but the, um, the, the 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 irreverent, outrageous metaphors they use during the reviews and the the kind of, the daft challenges, but at at the heart of all that, you've actually got quite an informative show. Mm. Mm. You know, as much as, you know, driving across the desert in a ripped-out, you know, Mercedes is, you know, it's quite amusing, it tells you the capabilities of that car. Mm. Not that you'll ever need them, but, you know, they're going on about the horsepower, etc. And the underlying current of everything they do that's stupid is Quite sensible and still goes to that core audience of petrol heads who love their cars. Yeah. Well, it's, it's, and a, that's it's what we need for games.
0: It's a mix of of although less so lately, it's gone downhill a bit, in my opinion. I'm not a car head, by
2: the way. I don't know the the thing is, I'm not a car head, so the less it goes about goes on about cars, the more I enjoy yeah. it. it. It's it's it, I
0: think it's uh, it's as a whole, the show has always been a good mix. This the recent incarnation of it has always been a good mix of entertainment, information um uh, you know a bit of humor it's a bit of everything and that's the key thing that i'm talking about mm. yes toilet humor can be there i'm you know even i like the occasional bit of toilet humor sometimes it raises a smile sometimes mm. but as long as it's in the right amount and used the right way you know but that's that's,
1: that's a good but, thing. but but ultimately guys ultimately the sun still p- set you know, cells. Tens of thousands of copies every single yeah. day oh,
0: doesn't adjust oh don't don't make me want to go and kill myself
1: so so you know like let's be fair there are there are idiots in every medium and in, and in every walk of life and uh and and somebody has to cater to those and make a, a fat chunk of money out of it so wow. uh,
0: Yes, here's to the oncoming apocalypse. (laughs) Um, So we should probably end it there on the uh, main topics. Uh, Thank you both very much for being on the show tonight. It's been very interesting, informative, and and quite fun, actually. Mm. Um, Is there anything else you'd like to share with us? Twitter, information, website addresses, anything you want to promote? James?
2: Um, Yeah, I'd I'd love to plug my show. Um, (laughs) I'm one of the co-hosts at um, Game Burst. We are a bi-weekly podcast. No, sorry, not bi-weekly. Twice weekly. We're twice weekly. Um, We come out um, every Sunday and Thursday. And the key is that we are a half-an-hour podcast. We're a half-an-hour multi-format games podcast. Every Sunday is our new show. Every Thursday is either a roundtable or the uh, monthly quiz that Peter starred on recently.
1: Hello. Um,
2: so definitely go and check that out because um, you did quite well
1: it was alright <laughs> <laughs>
2: um, I'm going to have to get you back on for that at some point
1: yeah I'd love and, to um,
2: and we also do like um, once a month uh, so once a month we do a quiz once a month we do a replay show which um, we picked up from the gamer scene which is where we take an old game of two years or more um, and play it and see how it stands up today. you can find us at www.gameburst.co.uk. Um, or you can email me for more information if you want at pod at gameburst.co.uk.
0: And Peter? Uh, yeah,
1: um, you can find me uh, at my podcast label, which is in dot uh, which is a, uh, what we sort of see as a, uh, we sort of see ourselves as a music label, but for podcasts, it's a bit strange. Uh, and, uh, yeah, we, we kind of talk about, um, all sorts of stuff. Psychogeography of video games. We talk, we take exceptionally deep looks at games. We, uh, we play free games and all, all sorts of stuff. Uh, so we're doing a lot there. Um, and I kind of freelance write for a, a bunch of sites. Um, you can find my work on Pocket Gamer, uh, Beefjack, Resolution, Midlife Gamer, uh, and various sorts of things like that. I'm around the internet, generally.
0: Look for uh, you. will find you somewhere.
1: Mucking it up,
0: <laughs> pimping yourself out.
1: Pimping <laughs> myself right out.
0: Well, thank you very much again, and uh, hope to hear from you again soon, my friends, on another show. If you're up for appearing again, hey, I'm yes. definitely up to doing this again. Yeah, excellent. Enjoy thank you. Time. Oh, brilliant. Thank you very much. tree was produced by Digifox, hosted and mediated by Robert Smith, and guests today were Peter Willington and James Bachelor.